Hello, I'm Enrique Arvello. And I'm Lee Moran. And welcome to the inaugural episode of our podcast, Too Big to Fail, where we discuss the most pressing topics in public economics. Today we'll be looking into one of the most hotly debated issues in public economics, how public school funding is structured in the United States. With the help of experts of Matt Crum and Professor Yang Song, we'll be analyzing whether the current funding structure is optimal and what possible improvements could be made to our education system in order to lead to more optimal outcomes for students. In the United States, public schools receive funding from the federal, state, and local level to supply the general public with a free education until the 12th grade. In 2015, the United States spent $634 billion in education spending, which is approximately $12,509 per student. This system of providing free education to all residents is extremely important because it provides the American population with the knowledge needed to be productive in the workforce, it creates a more informed voter base, and helps reduce negative externalities such as decreasing crime rates. Most public schools receive a majority of their funding from local property taxes, with the supplementary funds being provided by the state and federal level. Let's listen to what Matt Crum, the business manager at Hamilton Central School District, has to say about the breakdown of where the funding is coming from. Hey, Matt. Can you give us the breakdown of where Hamilton Central School District is exactly getting their money from? If you went to a public school in New Jersey, you might find things very different than what they are in New York State. So a lot of the uh, a lot of the funding that comes from the state, there's a number of factors that get factored in. We also receive some federal funding through federal programs that are sort of funneled through New York State and distributed to school districts. So, um, but yeah, there's certainly state funding, there's federal funding that we receive, plus there's also um, support that we get from our local tax base. So that's the majority of our, our the, the most of our funding in this school community. We have about a $12.5 million budget. A little over $7 million comes through our tax base, through the tax levy. So, Wow, over $7 million? Well, it is not uncommon that the majority of the school's funding comes from local sources which means that the amount of funding that the school receives is directly linked with the amount that they pay in property taxes. This means that different districts can provide different levels of education depending on how big of a tax they are willing to accept to fund public schools. This system is representative of the Tebow model. The Tebow model suggests that individuals will self-sort where they live based on their propensity for public goods. If an individual has a, has a high value on education compared to other goods, they will move to an area with higher property taxes and better funded schools which has been proven to lead to better test scores in a study by John McKenzie, an economics professor at the University of Delaware, who has done extensive research on links between funding and test uh, score performances. If they have a low value for education, they will move to an area with lower property taxes, with less funded schools, which in turn will have lower average test scores than highly funded school districts. Along with the local funding, public schools in New York State also receive funding from the state and federal levels. The funding that a school receives from the state level is dependent on their performance on standardized tests. Matt Crom discusses how exactly this funding works here. So would you say that like the funding has an effect on the standardized test scores? No, but actually the 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 opposite. So there's there are the standardized test scores affects funding. So we actually, we receive some funding right now through the state. It's called, we, we've been labeled by New York State as a focus district. And what that means is we've been identified as the state, by the state, based on our metrics. 
we have a specific demographic, that being our low socioeconomic kids, so our poorer kids are performing below expectations. So based on the trends of our scores, based on that particular demographic, the state has sort of pegged us as your lower performing kids, your poorer kids aren't performing as well as they need to be. Here's $50,000 for the year. You have to do a district comprehensive improvement plan. You have to come up with a way in which you're going to target that specific need. So the way you said that, it's sort of the opposite. There are ways in which your test scores can impact different sources of funding. Mm -hmm. um, it's a little debatable as to where, whether or not it's a good thing, um, both you know, in terms of publicity, but then in terms of actually making improvement. Um, you know, it doesn't look good for the district to be labeled as a as a focus district. So if you, you know, if you have a young family that's considering moving here and they want to know how the school performs, it could be seen negatively as, you know, a district that you know, we've been we've been labeled as a focus school, but it's because of that specific demographic. The fact that schools should more state funding for having students that are underperforming creates a complicated incentive structure where a school district will receive more funding for lower performances. But at the same time, if a school is labeled as underperforming by the state, people will be less incentivized to send their children to that school, which will lead to a decrease in local funding from property taxes. Now that we have explored the system for public school funding, we now ask Professor Song if she believes this system is producing optimal outcomes for all students. Do you think that the current structure of public school funding in the United States is leading optimal outcomes? I do not think so. No. <laughs> so, um, U.S. is one of the few countries um, in the developed world where the education funding varies by the local income a lot. Um, and that's because of the funding structure in the U.S., the public school funding structure, um, where the local property tax is one of the main sources of the local public schools and you can imagine that in areas where houses are more expensive then they have more funding to hire better teachers to you know um, make the facilities better and so on um, and in the disadvantaged neighborhoods they are lacking resources as you can see here one of the features of the education system in the United States where people can choose their level of educational attainment is also one of its largest flaws as Professor Song outlined in the previous quote, having different levels of education available creates a large gap between the level of education at a wealthy school compared to the level of education of a poor school. In our current system, it is not always possible for all individuals to attend a school that matches their desired level on education because many individuals may not have an income high enough to live in a community that matches the level of public goods that they find optimal, or due to job lock are forced to remain in a region with underperforming schools. This creates inequality in the system because communities will typically be based off of incomes instead of propensity for public schools. So low-income people will be forced to attend poorly funded schools while children from richer families will have the option to attend higher performing schools. This leads to a problem of accessibility for children from lower income families. This shows that despite the immense value of education in our society, public schools are not a pure public good. Different states are working to lower this inequality. It is important to note that every state organizes public funding for schools in a different way. 
and not all states face the problem of inequality to the same degree. For example, California schools receive a majority of their funding from the state level. This is because in 1971, the California Supreme Court ruled it unconstitutional for there to be differences in the amount of funding that each school receives and ordered the state to equalize funding across state districts. Here's Professor Song describing whether or not more equalized states produce more optimal results for students. Do you think states such as California that have more equalized outcomes for students are better than states like New York where the town can choose to invest whatever level of uh, funds they want into the public good? Like, yeah, I, I think so. Um, in Especially in like urban areas where there's a very big income inequality across neighborhoods, you can see a stark difference in how well the schools are funded. Um, and so I think it would, it's kind of against the American ideology, you know, there's the, the American dream in the sense that everyone should have the opportunity to do well and to pursue whatever they're capable of pursuing. Um, but, you know, if you were born into a low-income family and then you, the only choice you have in the local public school is not so much a, a high-quality school, then that really cut short sort of how much you can go up. Despite the benefits of leveling the playing field for all students, there are still drawbacks in equalizing funds because money will be taken away from the wealthier schools. When we talked to Matt Crum, the business manager of Hamilton Central School District, we realized that relatively wealthy school districts in the areas really do not have that much money to lose. What is like top on the agenda for this school in terms of like if you guys, when you guys do receive more funding, where mm -hmm. do you typically put that funding? Well, right now when we're receiving, we're, we are just trying to preserve program at this point. You know, with declining enrollment, um, you know, we 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 try to we're trying to maintain status quo now of of offerings for the wide array and the wide range of students that we have you know that we have students that perform uh that are that are lagging in performance we have students with uh, special education needs you know some that don't even come to this campus they're at alternative ed placements they're very expensive um, we also have kids that are real high-functioning, high-achievement. Um, so, you know, we offer Latin here in high school as a language, um, which in this region, in this area, especially for smaller schools, is unheard of. So we still offer multiple languages. We offer um, orchestra and band in the, in the primary school. So second and third graders are taking band and orchestra lessons. You know, those are, those are luxuries. Uh, it's valued by this community, but we also have kids on the other end of the spectrum. So really right now, um, you know, the, the cost of doing business continues to increase. So employee benefits, you know, the health insurance that we offer our employees is, the, is number one. Um, we're looking at, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollar increase on our budget every year with health insurance. Um, you know, salaries, 70% of our budget is, is people salaries and benefit I mean and that's typical for a lot of businesses so as those costs keep going up the aid increases and the levy increases they're not quite there so any additional funding that we receive whether it's tapping into reserves or obtaining grant funds 
we're really at this point using them to just try to maintain the status quo. As you can see, there is no clear solution to this complicated problem. The current structure leads to inequality across incomes, which causes social mobility to decrease. But total equality in schools funding could lead to a decrease in education level in top performing schools. If we view the United States government as a paternalistic entity, the main objective in changing the education system should be to increase equality in order to break the cycle of poverty that many disadvantaged citizens in America's inner cities and rural communities experience. We believe that the best way to balance between these two schools of thought would be a structure similar to the system in the state of New Jersey. New Jersey is a statewide property tax that is redistributed in a way that guarantees a certain level of funding per pupil in every district. Towns with property values above the 85th percentile receive a small foundational grant from the state to use in education and have to raise all of the revenues locally. The towns below the 85th percentile receive a magic grant that is dependent on their own educational spending. This system is a good intermediary solution because it helps both level the playing field by giving each district a set amount while still incentivizing wealthy districts to increase their educational spending. Besides adopting a system similar to the New Jersey model, another possible solution that is being discussed is the voucher system, which is a popular idea being discussed by the new administration. A school voucher is a credit given to parents who want to move their children from public school to a private school of their choosing. This system is already present in a few states, such as Indiana, North Carolina, Ohio, and Florida. This would be a beneficial change because vouchers give lower-income individuals an opportunity for a better education. In this system, the government gives each student the same way regardless of the area they are from, which puts an emphasis on equality. Research done on the voucher system shows mixed results regarding its impact on test scores, but there have been robust findings on its positive effect on increasing the educational attainment of minorities and underrepresented students. Supposedly, in a voucher system, public schools would be incentivized to perform better because they would be in competition for public funding with private schools. This would lead to public schools to improving more than if they were simply given more funding. Okay, and that's all the time we have for you today. Thank you for joining us as we tackled one of the most important public problems in the United States. We'd like to give a shout out to our sponsor. This podcast was brought to you by Dollar Shave Club. Great razors for just a dollar. Go to dollarshaveclub.com for more information on this great product. Don't forget to like and subscribe to Too Big to Fail, available on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to join us next week as we will be discussing agricultural issues on Mars with guest speaker Elon Musk. Thank you, guys. Money, 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 money